Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 and 6, with the Lord's help today. This is the word of God, saints. Give it your full attention, for this is the very word of God. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of life, from the spring of the water of life without cost. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Join me, saints, if you would. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider your word, who is, which is faithful and true. As we consider your word, which is a reflection of who you are, faithful and true. Give us grace, Lord, to, with our minds, understand, to, with our hearts, love and have faith, and to reveal, Lord, to evidence that these things are so by the the obedience of our hands and feet. Give us grace, Lord, now. I decrease that you may increase, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, saints, with God's help, we will consider three points concerning God and his faithful God and his faithful word, which is faithful and true. I'll say that again, maybe clearer. God and his word as faithful and true. That's what it is. God and his word as faithful and true. Number one, faithful and true. Number one, faithful and true. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. He who sits upon the throne of all creation, the Lord God Almighty, commands the Apostle John, To do what he has been doing for 21 chapters thus far. Write. John has been writing. And yet God, through Christ, to an angel, and through the Apostle John, that's the transmission, is unveiling what was, what is, And what shall be for those who trust in the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world? Right, the Lord God says to John. By the command to write, God is commanding John to emphasize the fact that the words revealed and the words written are in fact faithful and true. Because they find their source in the eternal one who is faithful and true. The words are faithful and true because they are from God who is faithful and true. He is the one who is three. The three who are one. These words are faithful and true because they are spoken by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who who are faithful and true. 
The Lord God Almighty commands His chosen mouthpiece to call, listen to this, the church for all time, that includes you, to whom this is written, that includes you, that means you, to give your, our attention to the written word of God, for it is the very word of God Himself. God is saying, emphasize this. Put an exclamation point. Bold it. Underline it. Italicize it. These words are faithful and true. Give your attention to them. In the first chapter, the Apostle John declares that the words spoken in this apocalyptic book are, Revelation 1.5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Revelation 3.14, the Lord Jesus declares that he himself is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Therefore, all that proceeds from his mouth is without error. All that proceeds and then is therefore written down is without falsity. All that is within this holy book can completely be trusted. Here in Revelation 21, as the curtain is being drawn on the unveiling of history, the Lord God Almighty calls the Apostle John to call His people, that means you, to give their full attention to the written word of God which is being spoken. For the words of this book that are being proclaimed find their source in Him who is eternally faithful and true. That which God commanded John to declare to the seven churches, He commands to the church Catholic for all time. That means, meaning, when your ministers... And when every true minister, for that matter, calls the people of God, the saints, to give their attention, to, to hear the word of God, we are saying along with John, for these words are faithful and true. When your elders say, give your attention to the reading of the word of God, we are saying along with John, for these words are faithful and true. They are not the words of a man. If they were the words of a man, then pay them no mind. If these are the words of a man, then don't give it your full attention. Saints of God, when the word of God is proclaimed in your ears, all people, but especially you who call upon the name of Christ, listen to this, must give your full attention to its proclamation. Not, not, not might, not it's a, it's a suggestion, uh, not maybe, must. You must give yourself completely and wholly to the hearing of the proclamation of this word, for it is the very word of God which is faithful and true. You who call upon the name of Christ, listen to this word, you owe Him. You owe Him your full attention. 
You owe him your full attention. You owe him your full undivided attention when the proclamation of the faithful and true word of God goes forth. When the word is read, when the word is sung, when the word is proclaimed and preached, all men, but most especially those who call upon the name of God in Christ Jesus, you owe your ears, you owe your eyes, you owe your minds, you owe your hearts to hear what God has to say. If in fact you are the people of God. Those who heard, who first heard this letter, and, and can you imagine, can you imagine the attentiveness that was given on that Lord's Day Sabbath when the elder elders of these churches called the saints and said, we are gathering this Lord's Day and we have a letter from the exiled Apostle John that will be read on this Lord's Day. Oh, the people were present to hear. They showed up. They came to hear the word of God. In this way, they displayed at least a few things that they are, in fact, the word of the, the people of God. They were present to hear the, the word of God to show that they are, in fact, the people of God. That when God speaks, they are there to hear. They hung upon every word, I imagine. They internalized every thought, I imagine. They heard the words of John, not as being the words of John, but as being what they actually are, First Thessalonians, the words of God. That God himself was speaking to them through the written word, and they were present to hear that word. Hebrews 10 commands that we do not neglect the meeting together and even more so, we should not neglect the meeting together as we see the day of the Lord's return drawing near. God is speaking. And I have but this much time to yet hear the proclamation of his word before I am finally with him in glory. When the proclamation of the faithful and true word of God goes forth, the people of God must be present to hear the word of God. Hebrews 4.10, the Lord commanded His people. He says, assemble the people to me, that they, that I may have them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. The Lord God calls His leaders to call God's people to come and to hear God's word, so that they may learn to fear Him. And that in doing so, they may teach their children to fear the Lord. It's why you're here. I believe it's why your children are here. I believe. Dear ones, we display that we are the people of God when we are present to hear the proclamation of the word of God as it goes forth. We show we are in fact his people. Imagine God saying, come to hear my word. And those who heard the proclamation say, I am not going to hear what God has to say. So that, well, God's people are going toward His Word. Those who are not God's people are going away from His Word. There are some who are coming here, and there are some who are not going here. They are going in the opposite direction, showing, in fact, by their absence, not those who are members, let me be careful, but those who refuse, the, those who refuse to be present are showing by their absence 
by their refusal that they are in fact not God's people. We must not only be present, but saints of God, when we are present, listen to this, we must be reverent. We must not only be present, but if we are in fact the people of God, we must be reverent when the faithful and true word of God is being proclaimed. Any dishonoring of the holy moment, which is now, which was when Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah, uh, read from the Psalms, which was when Brother Dustin was singing that which is true to God's word, which is when Pastor Isaiah read the law of God, and which is right now as I am preaching the word of God. These are holy moments. Worship began when Pastor Isaiah said, Come into the house of the Lord and offer your praise to God. Worship began. Worship is now. And our, our attitude during this time must be one of reverence. Any dishonoring of this holy moment or the moments that I spoke of is unacceptable for those who call themselves the people of God. When we gather, just as those who first received this letter did when they gathered, we offer to God, listen to this, out of gratitude for being called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, out of gratitude, worship that is reverent, worship that is offered in awe of God. Dear ones, your reverence your respect, your honor, it is an act of worship toward the one who is faithful and true as his word which is faithful and true is being proclaimed. Your respect for the proclamation of God's word, whether it be reading or singing or preaching, is an act of worship to God. We do not offer worship by our mere presence. We present we are present to offer worship. Hebrews 12, 28. Let me ask you this. What does reverence and awe and honor, what does it look like in, in worship? Follow me. Worship is an activity of faith. Not, not our passive presence to receive an invisible check mark. By you just being in the vicinity does not mean that you're offering worship. And it's in fact why you're here. You are in fact here to offer worship, not to just be here while others worship. We have gathered for the purpose of hearing from the one who is faithful and true and being conformed in the process. What is, what is reverence? I said that. What does reverence at all look like in worship? You know what it looks like in places that are not places of worship. You know what reverence and all look like in places that are not places of worship. In fact, reverence and awe is offered sometimes in a greater manner in places of, that are not places of worship than the place of worship. 
Let's take the easiest, the easiest example. I was sitting there thinking at my desk, what's the easiest example that I can think of for me? A movie. A movie theater. A movie typically lasts an hour to two and a half hours, depending on what movie it is. And I'm going to use myself as an example. When my wife and I go to a movie theater, there are at least two things that I pray that I do not experience. I don't want to sit next to or around or anywhere near anyone who is either going to be talking lowly or loudly. Even for the person, even if they think they're whispering, they are whispering enough to distract and disturb me from being able to see what and be focused on what's going on on this screen. I paid money not to hear someone whisper somewhere around me, but so that I can enjoy my experience in seeing something that is going to entertain me for an hour and a half to two, two and a half hours. I don't want to sit anywhere near someone who is speaking either lowly or loudly. I don't also want to sit next to, and sit next to, sit next to or anywhere near someone who constantly needs to get up. That's me. If the person has to make me, because I like to take off my shoes in the movie theater, put my shoes back on or move my shoes out of the way or pick my feet back up so they can get past me, I don't like that. It's distracting me from the thing that I'm enjoying. A few things that I also don't want to do during a movie, I hope to God that I don't have to get up to go get food. Especially if I have my little ones with me. I want something to drink. And I'm saying, you should have got something to drink before we sat down. I also, I want to be there for the, uh, the previews. I want to be there 10 minutes, 15 minutes early because I like to see what's coming up. I want to get comfortable. I want to survey who's around me. I want to find my seat. Yes. I don't. I take my kids to the bathroom and I don't want to have to get up during the movie if I need to go. I will hold it if I can because I don't want to miss something. I don't want to pull out my phone and I don't want my neighbor pulling out their phone, especially in the darkness, because it's going to be a bright light that distracts me from what's going on on the screen. And I'm also going to be respectful to them by not pulling out my phone and doing the exact same thing. I'm also, if I'm going to help it, if it's a movie that I especially want to see, I'm going to try not to fall asleep. If it's a, it's a movie that my kids want to see, most likely I'm going to fall asleep. And it often drives me crazy when my son Nazareth will look down to me to see if I'm still awake. I'm, I'm here for you. Watch your movie. It's not mine. It's yours. Let me sleep. Those are things that I at least want to avoid. I want to avoid all potential distractions because I'm there... Because there's something in that movie that I think is going to entertain me and ultimately bring me some sort of joy, at least for an hour to two and a half hours. What do we do as soon as we leave? We'll talk about happiness. Immediately when we leave, my wife and me, or my wife and my kids, we immediately begin to rate the movie. What do you think? Nine, ten, seven, eight. What parts did you like? What parts did you not like? We start to go through the whole thing as we're driving home. Does any of that sound like reverence? Does any of that sound like honor? Does any of that sound like respect? And then internalizing the things that were said and having good dialogue, good conversation about them afterwards. It sounds a lot like what we do when we gather. Or what we should at least strive, strive for. We know that it is <clears throat> this worship. This worship is a means of grace and movies are not. We know that God himself is speaking to us and movies are not. Even if it's the Passion of the Christ, which I don't suggest you see, even if it's a Sound of Freedom, go see it if you want to. Christ is not speaking to you as he is speaking to you now. The one who is faithful and true is speaking to us now. 
let us not only be present, but reverent. The Lord God commands, Leviticus 19.30, Leviticus 26.2, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Why? Because I am the Lord, God says. Because what you're doing now and who you are in the presence of, not me, him, is altogether different than every other reverent moment in our lives. We could go to a bunch of different examples. We could go to a wedding, the reverence that, that is displayed there. To a classroom, the reverence that is displayed there. And none of those hold a candle to what is taking place here and now when we gather for worship. Why is being pre- present, why is being reverent vitally necessary for God's people? It is because of what God accomplishes through the proclamation of his word, namely the developing, the giving of faith, hope, and love to God's people. First Thessalonians 2.3, For this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word for men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. As the proclamation of the word is going forth, there is also a work taking place in you who believe. God is working in you now. When the scripture, you, when you believe, we'll get to that in a moment. When the scriptures were opened and proclaimed in the hearing of those who gathered in reference and awe, God who is faithful and true is granting faith to you, his people. God who is faithful and true is gracing us with faith, with hope for days ahead, with love in our hearts so that we long for him as a bride, her husband. This is accomplished through the proclamation of the word, my part, and the presence and reverence of God's people, your part. God is using this proclamation of his faithful word as the channel through which God dispenses grace to his people so that we will persevere and be conformed to Christ. You are right now being made holy. When the words from him who is faithful and and true are declared, I said this earlier, we owe him our presence. We owe him our reverence. It is our proper response. Listen to this. We owe him in that it is our proper response. No, you can't pay him anything back. But because of what he's given to you, your proper, my proper response to him is present, reverent, because of what he's doing in me as I am present and reverent, working in me faith, working in me hope, working in me love. We owe him. As those who have been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, we owe him our attentiveness. It is a a display of our reverence for him and for the minister that he has given. Uh, I'm I'm God's gift to you. (laughs) Pastor Isaiah is God's gift to you. I don't see myself highly like that, but God, God has said about us, we have been given to you to help you grow in Christ. So that you may be ready as a bride who is made ready for her husband. 
Hebrews 10.14. How will they call him? Here's why. Here's, here's what happens. How will they call on him whom they've not believed? Listen to this. How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Verse 16. Lord, who has believed our report, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How will you grow in Christ if you are not hearing the word of Christ? How will you grow in your hope of the promises of God if you're not here to hear the promises of God? How will you grow in your love for God if even you are here, you are not reverent so that you can hear? How will you be made ready as a bride if you are not hearing his word? How will faith grow? Faith comes by hearing, not the words of a man. And hearing of the word of God. The Lord commanded the Apostle John write. Emphasize these words are faithful and true. I implore you dear ones of Reformation Bible Church. By the authority of God's word. Of him who was faithful and true. Give your full attention to the proclamation of God's word. Whether read or sung or preached. For it is the very word of God. The Lord wants John and all of us hearers to hear this. This word is faithful and true. And then to hear this. It is done. I am the Alpha, God says, and the Omega, God says, the beginning, God says, and the end, God says. Verse six, it is done. Point two, it is done. He who is faithful and true commanded his servant to call his people to attention. To call them to give their full attention to the proclamation of this word. So that every ear, every ear might hear and every eye might see this grand announcement. This most wonderful announcement for every boy, every girl, every man, every woman. You who have ears to hear, here is the proclamation that God wants you to take note of. It is done. We have been in Revelation coming up on two years. And while I am not done with this series, we are nearing the end. And God wants all of you who have heard and all of you who are hearing to take note of this. That Christ is bringing all things to consummation. He is bringing all things to close. He is making all things new. And on that wonderful day... When we are joined with God and God is joined with us and the temple of God is among men, there will be one thing that God proclaims. It is done. Satan is defeated. Satan has been cast into the fiery depths of the lake of fire. And there is one thing that will be ringing in our ears and giving us joy for all time. It is this proclamation. It is done. What is done? The bringing down of all evil for all eternity. The rising of God and his people for all eternity without end because God is faithful and true. It is done. You've heard that phrase before and you might only think of it as, as only the time when Christ says on the cross, it is done. It is accomplished. It's been said three times in all of scripture. Four times in all of scripture. 
And every time it was said, it was said by the only one who has the authority to know when it is done. Every time, all four times that it has been spoken, it has come from the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said in John 17, uh, 4, in, in his high priestly prayer, our incarnate Lord says to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished or finished, or it is done, the work which you have given me to do. What is accomplished? The Lord revealed what he would do when he stood up in a synagogue in the town of Nazareth and found the place that was spoken about him in the prophet Isaiah and read aloud to the people there who had gathered to hear the word of God. Our Lord says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. As you know, dear ones, because of the sin of our first parents, mankind was bound in sin. Mankind was walking about in darkness, oppressed by the evil one. But God promised that there would come one who would destroy the works of Satan and who would set captives free from their bondage to sin and death. And the scriptures say, at just the right time, at just the right time, the eternal word assumed our flesh so that he might heal our flesh because or for he, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And on that blessed day, when Christ stood in the town of Nazareth in that little synagogue, he found the place that was written about him and he closes the book. The scriptures say he gives it back to the attendant and sits down. And while all of the eyes are upon him who has just made this proclamation, he says to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. pen could have dropped and heard resounding throughout that synagogue. The awe and the wonder that, that came over those who were in that synagogue, it was almost as if the Lord was saying, these are the words of the faithful and true. And the faithful and true is among you. Emmanuel is here. In his earthly ministry, the Lord accomplished what the prophets foretold that he would accomplish. And when John the Baptist questioned, are you the Christ? The Lord sent back one of John's disciples and said, report this to John. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor, poor in spirit, have the gospel preached to them. In his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus manifested the name of the triune God. For those who God had given to him, Christ revealed or published the Trinity to them. He who is eternally one with the Father and the Spirit gave deep insights of God that only one who is one with the Father and the Spirit could ever give. He promised the Holy Spirit who would be our comforter, our helper, our teacher, who would come and guide us and lead us in all things. And when the time came for the Father to display his perfect love, he did so. 
through the gift of love, offering his one and only son, Christ Jesus, in the most beautiful and yet horrific ways, so that we might be healed, so that Satan would be defeated. He is the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head, who brings down Satan's kingdom. And it was on that cross that Christ cried out in victory. It is done. It is finished. It is accomplished in the person of work of Christ. The inauguration of the new creation begins. The feet of Satan's kingdom was as sure as done. All the promises of God in Christ are fulfilled. And though we have not yet come to the consummation of the kingdom, the proclamation of its completion is as sure as Christ has risen from the dead. Revelation 6, the saints under the altar of God, under his divine protection, cry out to him, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Their cry is our cry. It's the cry of the church militant for all time until Christ returns. How long must we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil? When will our sojourning end? We know where we're going, Pastor Isaiah said last week. When will we get there? When will we at last reach the celestial city and find our home and happiness in the presence of God? When? Well, the one who has said in John 17, it is finished. Is the same one who said in John 19, it is finished. And he's also the same one who said in Revelation 16, it is done. And who says for us in Revelation 21, to his bride, with comfort, his word is surety. His word can be trusted. Those who put their trust in him will never be put to shame. Right Right, John, for these words are faithful and true. It is done. It is done. It is as good as done. All that is described for us, saints, the falling of Babylon, the judgment of the false prophet, the judgment of the beast, Satan, and all of those who I've just mentioned being cast into the lake of fire, it is done. We rest assured that God will bring his enemy and our enemy down for all time. Because God is faithful and true. The merging of heaven and earth, God dwelling with his people, all sorrow being removed, every tear being wiped from our eyes, and our happiness being complete without end. It is as good as done. Why? Because God is faithful and true. John Gill, who I don't quote often, but was very helpful in in bringing this point to a close for me. The whole election of grace is completed. Every individual vessel of mercy is called by bodies raised. And living saints changed. And all together are as a bride prepared for her husband. And the nuptials are now solemnized. All the promises and prophecies related to the glorious state of the church now fulfilled. The mystery of God spoken by his servants is finished. The kingdom of Christ complete and all other kingdoms destroyed. The day of redemption has come. The salvation of the saints perfect. What was finished on the cross by way of impetration is now done as to application. 
all are saved with everlasting salvation. These words are faithful and true because they find their source in him who was faithful and true. He who is the Alpha and the Omega. He who stands and opens the door to set history forward. And he who stands on the opposite end as well to close the door to history as it ends. He is faithful and true. And finally, saints. Verse 6. Free water of life. Free water of life. Verse 6. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life, of waters of life, without cost. Three brief things. The Apostle John sees at least three things in this vision. First, he's looking back. And if you want to turn there, you can. Looking back at the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 49. He is looking back at his prophecy and seeing that, that Isaiah is prophesying of one who is known as the faithful servant. The one in whom God will reveal all of his glory. The one through whom God will draw all nations to himself. The prophet Isaiah says that God says, you are my servant, Israel. Israel. In whom I will show my glory. Verse 49 or chapter 40, chapter 49, verse 5. And now the Lord says, who formed me. From the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob back to him. So that Israel. Interesting. Jacob. So that Israel. Might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord. And my God is my strength. Verse 10. Here's what the prophet foresees of that servant of the Lord. They will not hunger any longer nor thirst. It's what the servant of the Lord will do. Nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. It's what the Lord will do. For he has compassion on them and will lead them and guide them to springs of water. The prophet Isaiah is given insight into what the Messiah, the Christ, will accomplish. He will not be what Adam was. He will not be what Israel was. He will be faithful. He will be a faithful son. He will be the true and faithful Israel. He is the true faithful son of God. He will lead his people not to bitter waters like Moses did, not through the desert without covering as Moses did, but he will lead them to springs of water and the sun will never scorch their heads ever again. He will lead them to springs of water. He will lead them to living waters, waters that flow. Of course, it is symbolic. It is a symbolic abyss. He will lead them to eternal life. Water gives life. The servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, will lead people to eternal life. The true Israel will give life to all those who come to him in faith. But John looks back at the prophecy of Isaiah and sees that it is, it is fulfilled in Christ. The true Israel, who was named from the, the womb of Mother Mary. Isaiah said, and his tongue will be sharp like a sword. Go back and read on your own time today, Isaiah 49. But John is looking back, and then John is also recalling the years that he walked, the three and a half years that he walked with Christ during the earthly ministry of Christ. And he remembers at least one incident. It's from the Gospel of John, chapter 7. 
And it was during what, the time of, of what is called the Feast of Booths. Or the Feast of Tents. The celebration and the commemoration of the days when Israel wandered in the deserts and lived in tents. He recalls when the Lord Jesus went to the feast and after a time stood up and began to preach. Eventually, he's reviled by the religious leaders and they use this tactic against him that they know who he is and they know where he's from. Therefore, he could not be the, the, the Messiah. They say, whenever the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. John 7, 27. And then Jesus cried out in the temple. You both know me and know where I'm from. But I've not come for myself. But he who is true sent me. Whom you do not know. You know me, but you don't know him. And because you don't know him, you don't know me. The Lord says, I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. The Lord Jesus is doing something very specific. He's giving the people an opportunity to see him for who he really is. He is, in fact, the servant of the Lord that Isaiah foretold. He is, in fact, the faithful and true Israel who would come to set captives free. The Lord says, for a little while longer, I'm with you. Then I'm going to him who sent me. You're going to look for me, but you're not going to find me. And where I'm going, you can't come after me. Your window is short. The time to see who I really am, the Lord is saying, is very short. But I'm giving you the opportunity, Christ is saying, now. Because there will come a time when you will not have this moment again. To see him for who he is and believe in him. A few days pass because it's a week celebration. Here's how I make this point. In chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast... It's as if Christ spoke on the first or second day. A few days go by. He lets the things, he lets all of the celebrations go by. And then finally on the last day, the great day of the feast, the last day was the greatest day. The most people were there. Most of the celebration is at its highest point. Jesus stands up and the scriptures say, and he cries aloud. On the last day. He cries out loud. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me. The audacity. And drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It is the last day. For some who are there, their last chance to see him for who he really is. The fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The faithful and true servant who has come to give water. And with that water in life, John notes it's the last day. 
Christ full of grace and truth. He cries out. I stopped just short of saying begging. He's imploring. He is urging. He is telling the people, see me. See who I really am. Come to me. I will give you life. I am revealing myself to you. Listen to this. And it would not have just been the religious leaders who knew exactly what Christ was saying and making the connection between water, thirst, and being satisfied in him and the prophecy of Isaiah. The religious leaders knew their word. Therefore, when Christ says, come to me, all who are thirsty, they knew exactly who he said he was. He was revealing that he is the Christ, the servant of the Lord, the true Israel, the true son of God. And he has come to bring Jacob. He didn't say Israel. He has come to bring Jacob. The prophet said he's come to bring Jacob. The swindler. The trickster. He has come to bring the sinner to himself. He is the true Israel. He is the faithful one. He is the sinless one. And he is making Jacob like Israel. He's conforming Jacob. To be the, the, the son of God. But he is the true son of God. He looks back at Isaiah. He remembers his own time with Christ. And then he looks forward. And he, sings, he sees that the springs of life that Christ promised. They are fulfilled. They are fulfilled. On that last day when we are all with him in the fullest sense. They are fulfilled when the body leaves, when the soul leaves the body, yes. And when we are all gathered together, we will all know in the fullest sense the innermost joy that comes from the springs of water that Christ gives to us who believe in him. Can you trust this? It is faithful and true. And here's the last thing. And it's free. The springs of water without cost. The Lord did not say, come to me, all who are thirsty. I've got a special sale going on. Water for a dollar. Water for a dollar. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and drink from the well that gives life without cost. Cost him. But you must only receive it freely. And Christ, who is the faithful and true, gives to us the supper as a reminder that his word is faithful and true. As a proclamation still today of those who look to him in faith that his word can be relied upon, that his word can be trusted in, that all who place their faith in him will not be put to shame, that he is the one who gives eternal life. And he gives to us the elements of the bread and the cup to assure us that his promises are faithful and true. In just a moment, I will break the bread and I will present the cup. And I pray that you are reminded of this. His word is faithful and true. Amen. Oh, when his word is presented, when we come to the table, let us be present. May I say this to you also? 
You come. You walk here in front of all of the saints. You take the bread. You take the cup. You do it. It's for you. Let this walking down the aisle be a symbol of Christ calling you to come to him and you coming to him and receiving the word of life and the promise revealed in these elements, these sacramental elements, bread and wine. You come. And when you're holding the bread and when you're holding the wine, proclaim, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And let us add a Maranatha to the end to the end of that, huh? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let us be reverent. Let us be present. Let us be reverent. Let us remember what God is accomplishing in Christ when we gather for worship. He's working in us faith, hope, and love.